0: lesson page 65 intercessory prayer we've been studying on lord teach us to pray talking about the different things about prayer and uh, there'll be some interesting things as we tie this in uh, today with this last lesson and the memory verse is job 42 10 and the lord turned the captivity of job When he prayed for his friends, and I think this is something that we all need to hear, and including me, and it's important that we go through this today. And so, Job 13 and verse 15, Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. It's quite a phrase. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if he was to kill me or allow me to be killed, I'll still trust him. And so I'm going to read this paragraph from our book, it says, our sorrows shall have an end when God has gotten his end in them. When God has gotten everything out of us that he's wanting to get, when he's when He's uh, done working and and producing, our sorrows will have an end when God has gotten his end in them. The ends in the case of Job were these, that Satan might be defeated. Remember, the whole story of Job starts out with Satan and God having a little argument about Job and having a a deal made uh if Job just had all this good thing taken from him he'd curse you if he wasn't so protected and so blessed he would curse you and God said deal go ahead but don't touch his life and uh and and God God made a a a deal with Satan knowing that Satan would lose and so the ends in the case of Job was that Satan would be defeated foiled with his own weapons thinking that, that hurting Job and destroying everything Job had would get Job defeated, but instead it defeated him. Blasted in his hopes when he had everything his own way. Satan had everything he wanted, except for the ability to kill Job, and yet he still couldn't win. God, at Satan's challenge, had stretched forth his hand and touched Job in his bone and in his flesh, and yet the tempter could not prevail against him, but received his his rebuff in those conquering words though he slay me yet will i trust him in other words satan realized it's over i can't win if he's going to say things like that that even if god were to slay him he's still going to trust him i wonder if that would be true of us if god were to treat us or allow us to be treated the way job got treated if we would still trust him and follow him and when satan heard that he knew it was over he couldn't he couldn't defeat Job and he knew God knew better. Let not despair rivet his cruel fetters about thy soul. Hope yet for there is hope. Trust thou still for there is ground of confidence. He shall bring thee up again rejoicing from the land of thy captivity and thou shalt say of him as the psalmist in Psalm 30 verse 11 Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing from sorrow to joy So let us learn today to imitate the example of Job and pray for our friends. And peradventure, if we have been in trouble, our captivity shall be turned. And that's our theme verse, Job 42.10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And I hope we can get that understood today and realize what what it's teaching us here. And So page 66, a commendation. And this is taken from a sermon that was preached over 100 years ago. and That's why some of the lingo is a little bit uh, old-fashioned. But a commendation, intercessory prayer, has been practiced by the best of God's saints. Take Abraham, for instance. How earnestly did he plead for his son Ishmael? Genesis 17, 18, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Abraham was burdened for Ishmael because it was Abraham's own doing that Ishmael came to be. And Ishmael was not the one that God was going to choose and to bless. And yet Abraham pleaded with God that he would still recognize Ishmael. And God did. And so we see Abraham pleading for his son, Ishmael. In fact, back in Job chapter 1, we see that Job prayed for his family. And it says that Job prayed for his sons and his daughters that that in case they might have done something without do, or in case they've had evil in their heart or their mind. And so he prayed and offered sacrifice for them. And then we can, we can talk about Moses and how often he interceded for the people. Let's look at a couple of places in Numbers chapter 14 and Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32 and then Numbers chapter 14. It's really amazing when you read the story of Moses. You know, Moses ended up hitting the rock twice when he was only supposed to hit it once and then speak to it the second time but in his anger towards the people and what they had done he smote the rock the second time instead of instead of speaking to it and of course the rock was a picture of jesus and jesus only needed to be smitten once he was crucified and that one crucifixion is forever and the picture is is after that is that we don't re-crucify christ but rather we speak to him we pray to him and ask him uh for for help and uh so moses in his anger lost uh his temper and hit the rock he wasn't angry at the rock he was angry at the people and because of that god said moses you're not going to go into the promised land now you think about that and what moses uh was punished with because of of the people and what they had done. But now look at moses and how he loved the people numbers 14 and verse 5 then moses and aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of israel and prayed and begged god because what had happened is they had just come back from the 12 spies coming back and and uh, god was god was done with them he was he said you you're going to just wander around the wilderness until you die And your children will go in instead. And then go with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, it's the story of when Moses and Joshua went up to uh, the mountain and uh, to receive the Ten Commandments and the laws of God. And when they came back down, Joshua said, I hear war. And Moses said, it's not the sound of war. It's actually some kind of music. And uh, that's interesting uh, that Joshua thought it was so chaotic sounding that it was war. Uh, And And uh, Moses said, no, actually, I think it's music, but it's something weird. And uh, Exodus chapter 32, they get down there, and they find that they had made a golden calf, and they were dancing around it and doing all kinds of whatever and and stripping off their clothing and and whatnot. And Moses was angry, and of course, God was angry at what they had done. And here in Exodus chapter 32, uh, in verse Number thirty, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord, and peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Now, look with me in verse 10. Before I read the next verse. Verse 10, this is what God said. God said to Moses, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and I will, and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. God says to Moses, I am so sick of these people. Just stand back, Moses, and let me just fry them. And then I'll, I'll raise up from your family a great nation. We'll just start over. And Moses begged God not to do that. Verse 11, Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt? And then we see in verse 30, Moses, he was angry with the people himself. He was really ticked off. I mean, he he ground that golden calf down to powder and, and then poured it in the water in the river and made them drink it. He was so angry with them because God wanted to kill them for what they had done. And so verse 31, Moses returned and he prayed, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Verse 32, now Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and there's an interesting thing here because I don't think anywhere in the Bible you have this, a dash, where where it's just kind of a pause, kind of a trailing off. And yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, it's almost like he's thinking, oh, but I don't blame me if you don't. And if not, if you won't forgive their sin, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. There's a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And when you are saved and you are born again, you are in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Moses said, God, if you can't forgive them for what they've done, would you just erase my name instead? Wow! Think about that. That's quite impressive. Now, of course, God's not going to do that. But that's the type of intercessory prayer that Moses is praying here. He's pleading for his people even though these people later on drove him so crazy that he, he lost his ability and his privilege of going into the promised land himself. But that's how much he interceded for his people parents for their children, Moses and other men for the people that God has given them to lead. Um, we can think of Samuel as well. Samuel, First Samuel chapter 12, 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23. Samuel says to King Saul, you've really messed up. You've really messed up and you've, now you've, you've, and he said to the people, you, you want a king instead of God. You want to have your own king. And so Samuel says in, in, in verse 23, he says, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good in the right way. So Samuel says, it, will, it would be a sin, in, 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 no matter what you guys have decided to do, you've decided to pick a king, a human king, instead of trusting in God, and so you're, you're on your own, however, it would be a sin for me to stop praying for you. Wow, that's an interesting passage, isn't it, to think about what Samuel's saying there. He's saying, I'm still going to pray for you. I, you need my intercession, and I'm going to pray for you. Uh, and then 1 Kings. Uh, 1 Kings, 1, 2 Samuel, First 1 Kings, First Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18 and verse 43. Elijah was at the top of Mount Carmel and he was praying. In verse 43, he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. What does that mean? I'm going to keep praying until finally God answers my prayer and they send some water, some rain. They were so dry and he was begging God and so go again. And, uh, and then Jeremiah, there's the book of Lamentations. I think someone was picking Lamentations for a sword drill today. Lamentations, lamenting. Jeremiah and Lamentations about crying and weeping over the people and, and shedding tears for them. And then um, Peter was praying on the top of a house in in the book of Acts, chapter 10, he was praying. Uh, And then Stephen, look at Stephen, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, it's the story of Stephen, one of the original deacons, Acts chapter 6, they chose seven men to help serve the church and take care of the, the business of the church and things like that and Stephen was listed as one of those seven men in Acts chapter 7 Stephen was cornered by the religious Jews the Pharisees and uh, they were very upset with the Christians and what was going on and Christi- Christianity spreading and Jesus who they, they had crucified is still purported to be alive and, and is has a great influence on these people and so they were not happy And and Stephen the deacon not not a pastor, a deacon of a church. He preaches to them the great sermon in Acts chapter 7. And that's what Acts chapter 7 is, is. Stephen basically just rehearses their history, all their Hebrew history, all the way up until the present, of where they're at today. And he preaches to them such a great sermon, he gets stoned to death for it. That's how you know it was a good sermon, because it, it had an effect Verse fifty one: Ye stiff necks and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you to always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. It's a bad sermon when they fall asleep, but it's a good sermon when they have a response. Of course, you'd rather they didn't stone you to death for it. You'd rather they just get right with God. But still, it was a good sermon because it had an effect on somebody. We'll mention that in a minute. Ye stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Verse 52, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it? When they heard these things, when he said all that to them, and he rehearsed their own history of what they'd done and what they are up to this point. When they heard these things, verse 54, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, stomped on him. Verse 58, They cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And, of course, Saul later got saved and became the apostle Paul. So Saul standing there watching this whole thing. Verse 59, And they stoned Stephen. But you know what Stephen was doing? Calling upon God and saying this amazing thing. Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Lord, even though they're doing this, please don't hold it against them. Their pride and their anger and their tradition has blinded them to truth. And so that, in his dying breath, was an intercessory prayer. He's praying for the people who are stomping on him and biting him and stoning him to death. That's different than praying for your kids, isn't it? But that's intercessory prayer and and Moses who said blot out my name which would mean that Moses would go to hell when he dies for people who are so lousy <laughs> who are so fickle see I think if you're like me and probably most in here we're all the same We we have a hard time praying for people like that we can pray for our kids because they're our kids and we can pray for our friends because they're our friends we like those people and they're nice to us and they rub us the right way maybe they have a need but to pray for people who are not our friends or who are enemies who are hurting us or opposed to us and Stephen in the midst of stones falling on him was able to intercede and then you say well what a waste to die like that no because there was a man named Saul standing there holding the coats and watching it and Jesus was starting to prick at his heart because that's, that's something that Saul the Pharisee, who was such a goody-two-shoes, could never do. I, I guarantee you looked at that, and I could never do that. And so and by you get to chapter 9, and Jesus stops Saul and says, it's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it? I think, I think Stephen is a great re- one of the great reasons as to why Saul is a Christian, and got saved and became the Apostle Paul. Lord, lay not this sin... To their charge. So we see some amazing people and amazing examples in the Bible of of interceding for one another. Um, And then Paul later on says this about the people that he loved and the people that he was burdened for. Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16. Here's what Paul prays and says in verse 16 Cease not to give thanks for you, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you. In my prayers, I never stop praying for you. And then chapter 3 and verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for your, your well-being. Not your health as much as your spiritual health, but both praying for you. All right. Then Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Lots of verses here. I'm going to have to talk a little faster. But Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 through 13 of course this is what we call the model prayer I don't know that you necessarily have to memorize it and just quote it I don't think that's the idea but it's the model Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9 it says after this manner therefore pray our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as, as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread not give me but give us And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice the plural again. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. And see, it's about praying for others, not just for yourself. Christ in his gospel made it your duty and your privilege to intercede for others. To pray for others as well as yourself. While we may have sometimes prayers so bitter that we must they have to be personal, like one time when Jesus prayed in Matthew 26:39, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. He's praying for himself, and it's okay to pray for yourself. But let me tell you this, listen, if you're a Christian, you can't just pray for yourself. In fact, if you're a Christian and all you pray for is yourself, I doubt you're a Christian. I don't think you can be a Christian and only pray for yourself. Think about that. Show me in the Bible where, that, where that's the case. As a rule, our prayers should be public prayers, though offered in private. In other words, public for others. Even in the secret, we should not forget the church of the living God. If you only pray for yourself and your children and your family, there's something wrong. Because God made us to be a part of a bigger family called the church family. Now here's the problem. Church family is made up of people who are hypocrites, who are goobers, who are frustrating, teeth grinding, ding dogs, and we have to pray for and and then they, tur- they they turn on us or they stab us in the back, and yet the Bible is teaching us to have an intercessory prayer. No Christian can pray only for himself. By the mouth of Paul, how frequently does the Holy Ghost exhort us to pray for ministers? We need to pray for ministers. First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians, chapter five, and people say, "Well, I, I do pray for my minister until he rubs me the wrong way. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 25. Brethren, pray for us pray for us you ever think the pastor doesn't might have a might not have a bad day once in a while might have a headache or might have a, a some other ache or might just be agitated or irritated or who knows what and so paul says brethren pray for us colossians backing up to colossians a few pages chapter 4 verse 3 and 4 With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Pray for us that we can can preach clearly and teach clearly and make it clear and manifest. James, who was ever a practical apostle, bids us pray for one another. James 5.16, confessing your faults one to another and praying for one another. Well, I'm not going to pray for, who should I pick? I'm not going to pray for Bob. He rubs me the wrong way. Praying for one another. When you have the king's ear, speak to him for us. There's an Old Testament story where Joseph said, now when you get back in front of Pharaoh, make sure you tell him about me. Will you intercede for me? You're standing before the king. Surely you could put in a good word for me. Well, when you go to prayer, guess who you're standing before? The king. Put in a good word for someone else. Would you please? And remember what they, he forgot him. He didn't remember to tell Pharaoh about him. He didn't intercede for him for quite a while. When you have the king's ear, would you speak to him for us? So page 67, permit me to remind you of the high example of your master. Because even in his agonies and this is where Stephen got it from even in his agonies on the cross Jesus did not forget he was still an intercessor for man and in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34 you can read Father forgive them for they know not what they do that's, that's where Stephen got it Lord lay not this sin to their charge But they know exactly what they're doing. Well, maybe humanly speaking they do, but maybe spiritually in, in the bigger picture they don't realize what they're doing. And it's so true. We all are blind to our own, our own viewpoint and our own emotions and our own, own way of thinking that we don't see the big picture. And those people, including Saul holding the coats, they thought they're getting rid of another heretic. This guy's a heretic. The truth is, though, they're just getting rid of him because they don't like him because he's, he's preaching truth to their heart and they don't want to hear it but they're justifying it by saying, we're getting rid of them. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is why everybody, including me, we have to learn to practice to intercede for people we don't even like. Because he did. Don't you think some of the people that were involved in the crucifixion later got saved? I think so. Centurion soldiers said, surely this was the Son of God. And, and there are people who later repented. And that's why I think when Peter preached 3,000 got saved one day because there were people that still had it fresh in their mind what had happened on the cross. Jesus is our interceder, intercessor. He never stops interceding for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. This is his job for us. Romans eight thirty-four. It says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which is the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, the real holy place, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He is our advocate and he stands before the holy God, the holy judge. And as our advocate, our lawyer, he stands before the holy judge and says, I know Matt Furs is a goober, but I died for Matt Furs, And I have paid the penalty that Matt Furs owes. That's intercessing. That's interceding. That's intercessory prayer on our behalf interceding this is why we don't need a human high priest this is why we don't practice what the catholics are practicing we don't go to some human and 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 confess to him why because we have a high priest jesus christ hebrews teaches us that and we can come boldly not because of our own goodness but because of the forgiveness and the intercession of jesus we can come boldly to the throne of grace so we, we see the commendation for us to intercede like Jesus intercedes for us, to intercede for others. Maybe you got a neighbor that's a jerk. Maybe you got a relative that's a jerk. Maybe you got a spouse that's a jerk. They need someone to intercede for them. They need someone to pray for them. As a matter of fact, would there be anyone in here that would raise their hand and say, I got saved and nobody prayed for me to get saved, but I got saved anyway. Maybe, but maybe you don't even know that. There's not many of us who didn't have someone praying for us. And even if you can't think of another human being praying for you, Jesus was interceding for you. An encouragement here then is intercessory prayer is the sweetest prayer God overhears. Don't you think God loves it when he hears You and I praying for someone, we we don't even want to pray for. Maybe, I mean that's pretty sweet. When you look down and see Stephen being smashed, his brains are getting pounded, and his body's getting crushed, and he's saying, "Lord, Lena, that's that's sweet to God." Wow. See, this is a tough deal, isn't it? And you know what else? Not only is it sweet, but it's very prevalent. It's very prevailing it's very powerful not in the Bible but in history about 500 years ago in 1536 in 1536 in October William Tyndale was tied to the stake and they put all kinds of kindling underneath of him as well as several of the copies of the translation of the scriptures around him to set it on fire because he had translated the Bible (coughs) into English (coughs) and it was illegal in 1536 and the king I believe it was King Henry allowed because the church was so powerful there was no separation of church and state allowed him to be executed for doing this illegal activity and his desire was to get God's word into English so that English common plowboys could read the Bible and understand as well as the priests said they did and someone mercifully put a leather strap around his throat and tied it tight to the post and, and then squeezed off his air until he died but while that strap was being cinched the last thing he said was Lord open the king of England's eyes That was the last thing he said. That was 1536. In less than 70 years, a new king on the throne named James had opened eyes and and permitted and even funded that a new version of the Bible be translated into English. And they called it the King James Bible because he allowed it and authorized it and funded it. But it was really an intercessory prayer that God would open the king of England's eyes. And after they strangled him, they set him on fire and, and torched his body. But it had a great effect. And um, we need to be encouraged by that, that it it's never a waste to pray for the impossible. I don't know why we got to pray for so-and-so. They're just so wicked. Yeah, we need to pray for them. We, we, we need to pray not with the, not with the human reasoning that this is how God's going to do God's going to zap them with lightning God's going to who knows maybe God won't save the king but maybe God will save another king maybe God won't do that with them but God will do something and he'll answer our prayer we just need to pray maybe God won't be able to save that hard-hearted one but their son or their or their daughter or their grandson will become a great preacher and he'll get that answer to prayer that way So a suggestion, the persons for whom we should pray, carry your dear friends who are wrong in practice not to the discussion room or to the debating club, but carry them before God. You know, I I know this, but I've never been to one. There's something called chat rooms. And people go into chat rooms and they have gossip sessions, I think. And, and of course, there's other things they use it for, and it's not all just gossip. But it's frustrating (laughs) when you live in a small town and all of a sudden every family whose child used to come to your Sunday school all of a sudden comes up with some weird reason why they can't come it's like everybody somebody's talking and you want to just go blast them but that's not the answer you just need to pray and ask God to help them to not be blind and and to not be unfair and to not be unkind and so Why is this saying this here? Because in Job, what happened is is that Satan and God had this argument and God said, you can mess with him, just don't kill him. And Satan took away his his family, took away all his wealth, and even took away his health. And his own wife said, just curse God and die. This is a waste. And Job said, though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. And then his friends came along and said... Well, Job, you obviously did something wrong. I mean, nobody's ever suffered like you, so obviously you're, a, you're 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 being punished for something, Job. And Job's friends were just piling it on. In Job forty-two, here's what we see. God rebuked those friends finally. In Job 42, I was trying to figure out why I couldn't understand this. I was in Isaiah. Isaiah is not even close to Job. Job 42, and verse number 8. Verse number 7, 42-7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz the Timonite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. You know, when people are going through it, unless you know absolutely 100% positively for sure, instead of telling them they're wrong with God, why don't you just pray for them? Verse 8, Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord also accepted Job. He wasn't going to hear those guys. They were self-righteous hypocrites. Verse 10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. He got everything back, including children. And he made everything like it was before, only double. He had a set of children in heaven and a new set on the earth. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job that Satan had him in when he prayed for his lousy friends. That's the message. That's the message we're looking at. Job, Job had to pray for the guys that were hypocritically beaten on him. So instead of taking it to the discussion room or the debate club, and that's what I want to do. I don't know about you, but I want to just, come on, come on, come on, come on. on." That's what I want to do. Maybe I'm the only one in here that wants to do that, but that's what I want to do. And uh, instead of doing that, carry them before God. But particularly, let me ask you to pray most for those who are disabled from praying for themselves. You know, there are people like his friends that they really can't pray. They can't get through to God. They're just not right with God. And so they're literally spiritually disabled from praying to God. If they're not saved, they certainly can't pray to God. Besides, there are millions of poor sinners who are dead in sin and they cannot pray. So pray for them. And then lastly, as I think Janie quoted the verse, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, it proves your love. In 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life. We know that we have gotten saved, and that we are no longer headed to hell, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. How are you to prove your love to Christ or to his church? If you refuse to pray for men, God help us to plead for others. As, as you for you that have never prayed for yourselves, God help you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. But if you are saved now, you need to pray for the people who have hurt you. Pray for the people who annoy you and pray for the people who trouble you. This is a very serious and personal thing for me. And I wonder if it is for someone else in this room right now. But this is what we need to end with in this subject of prayer that we are interceding for people that either can't intercede for themselves or won't. And we just need to pray for them. And I know it's been said many times and I know it's true. It's hard to hate people you're praying for. It's hard to to wish them you know failure when you're praying for them. And we need to pray for god's people that maybe not might might not be right but we're going to be in the same heaven we're going to see each other for eternity and we've got to i want to stand before the lord realizing i prayed for them not that i hated them it's hard to do easy to say hard to do let's let's think about today as we close in prayer lord help us to learn to pray for the people we don't want to pray for it's easy to pray for the ones we love it's easy to pray for the ones we like it's easy to pray for those who, who we have decided deserve it. It's not easy to pray for those that are hard towards us. But help us to realize that Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, still said what he said. And Jesus on the cross still said what he said. Lord, thank you for that example. Help us to learn to pray for others. Of course, we realize that people are ugly and mean. And we don't appreciate rocks being smashed in our face. And yet we have to realize the big picture and help us to pray like we never prayed before. And may you change our life and the lives around us when we learn to be humble and to pray like you'd have us to pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.